Welcome to Social Work Matters with Dr. Sylvia Smith, where we explore the realities and celebrate the successes of social work practice, management, and education. Welcome to another episode of Social Workers Matter. I'm your host, Dr. Sylvia Smith. I hope you're well and continuing to cope through this season of challenges during this pandemic. As we record today in the UK, our Prime Minister and his cabinet set about relaxing some of the safety measures we have had in place with regards to COVID-19. Some of us are not as confident about the relaxation of some of these safety measures, particularly those of us from the BAME community who have been disproportionately impacted upon by COVID-19. It's a hard call. The country needs to get back on its feet economically. Um, however, health is extremely important and I would ask that you continue to take good care and remain alert. It is so important. In today's episode, I am in conversation with social work lecturer and educator Sandra Wilkinson. Sandra is one of six sisters whose parents came to this country from the Caribbean and she herself grew up in East London. In this episode, Sandra shares her career journey. She talks about her mature entry to social work and she is now on a new path as an educator. I think you'll find her story interesting. It doesn't differ significantly from my own, so a lot of what she shared resonated with me. Okay, before we get into the episode, can I just remind you that it would be really good if you could leave a comment or a word. Um, it would be really helpful if you could leave a comment under the podcast here. It helps to get the word out. If you'd like to reach out to me, please send me an email at adosylv at gmail.com. And also, if you'd like to come across and join us in our Social Workers Matter Facebook community, it would be lovely to have you there. I will leave the links in the show notes below. Okay, let's meet Sandra Wilkinson. So welcome, Sandra. How are you? I'm doing very well, Sylvia. Thanks for having me on. Well, thank you so much for agreeing to um, spend some time with us here today at Social Worker Matters. Uh, Social Workers Matter. I keep getting the title wrong of my own podcast. It's, isn't it amazing? Um, and anyway, as I, as I said to you before, Sandra, this is really a platform, an opportunity for those of us who are involved or have been involved and continue to be involved in either social work, practice, or management. Um, it's really an opportunity for us to talk about our work, talk about our careers, and it's just a, a safe space for a bit of reflection. Mm -hmm. uh, so we've had a number of guests on, on, on the podcast. Not all of them have been social workers, but um, it's been really interesting just to hear from, from them about their work um, and their lives, actually. So as you've agreed to do this, <laughs> let me start by by firstly just asking you to, to share with us um, a little about who Sandra Wilkinson-Jones is. Okay, so I, I kind of dropped off the Jones, I think, uh, a, a little while ago, so no problem. It's, I've returned to Sandra Wilkinson now. You've returned. But, um, That's good. <laughs> yes, I have. I have. Um, oh, who am I? Sometimes that, that seems like a, a strong question, but it, it isn't. I'm I'm someone who's uh, reaching kind of the the half century of my life. Um, uh, with pleasure too, and I'm someone who came into 
social work practice a little bit later. Um, I studied as a mature student at university. And uh, I'm glad that I did because I had less time to mess about. Um, I had two young children under 10 at the time. um, And so I needed to be focused. So I'm I'm someone who a little bit personally about me is that I come from a very large family. I'm one of six girls. Wow. Uh, yeah, my parents got busy in the in the sixties <laughs> and seventies. So um, I'm one of six children. You know, my my father sadly he's gone now, but uh, he was a pastor, minister, and my mother was. Um, hugely uh, influential and um, engaged much in church work and community life. So I grew up with a sense of um, serving others, you know, being actually on the planet to help other people. Um, and I'm, I'll never be sorry for that. I'm, I'll never be sorry for the example that my parents set in that, in that sense. And it's kind of interesting that all of myself and my siblings have then gone on to uh, engage in careers that are around serving people in some way. So, you know, it's not like I kind of wandered into social work at all. I think that, you know, just the examples of people around me, but certainly from my parents, brought me to a place where I thought, well, what do I want to do with my time? Um, and social work was it. But however, that was later, in my, my later 30s, um, I started work in um, administration. Okay. Then, oh, okay, I was going to ask you, because that's interesting that um, you found social work uh, later on. Mm-hmm. Quite often what, what I... What I've been asking some of our guests who are are social workers or have been social workers is how they um, how they got started in the careers, um, and some have said they've always known they've wanted to do social work. Mm-hmm. Um, but it sounds to me like you're saying you've always known you've wanted to serve. In I think yeah, definitely in some way. I mean, even at the age of eighteen, you know, where where some of my not that I didn't do the clubbing scene, I did, you know, for a little while. Um, but I also spent a lot of time with older, elderly people in my spare time. So, um, and, you know, I, I spent time with homeless, a lot of homeless people. Um, and I really enjoyed spending that time with them. This is before I even knew anything about a social work career. I was 18 years old. But I, I knew I was, sorry, go ahead. Was that through the church or was that just, you know, of your own volition? My own volition. Oh, okay. um, I was working for American Express um, at the time. And like I said, I moved into that role when I was about 18, 19 years old. And I moved as a junior secretary. And this was around the area of Victoria in London. And... Um, it was the first time I had been introduced to homelessness on that scale. So, so many men, very few women, actually, many men, young men and older men living on the streets. And to be honest, it was heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. It was heartbreaking to see it. And I, I thought, you know, having the, you know, having coming from, you know, a family of faith and embracing that faith myself, I couldn't just walk with them day after day and not do something. So um, unbeknownst to my mum, I would take food from the house. Oh, wow. and, uh, yes, I would. And I would, uh, and blankets as well. I'm not sure I've told her that yet, that I took blankets. Um, and I would give them... <laughs> she won't listen to this, I don't think. Um, and I would... Uh, give it to the people that I that I saw um I was so nervous at the beginning because I was like oh no how do I approach them but I plucked up the courage one day and um I remember I met uh an elderly gentleman called Cyril um a South African Caucasian man Mm -hmm. and we struck up a really lovely friendship 
and he talked to me about his life in South Africa before he came here. And I just learned so much um, from him. So as much as I was maybe giving things, I learned so much. I learned so much from him too. Um, and just one other example I'll give you. There was a an elderly gentleman uh, who lived not far from where I was living with my parents. Uh, his name was Andrew and he was, I don't know which African nation he was from, but he was certainly from an African nation. And he used to tell me about um, the fact that he was a, a, a prison warden in his country of origin. Um, and he had a large family, but that his marriage broke down. And, you know, that's how he ended up living on the streets. Right. But he carried himself with so much dignity, mm-hmm. um, with so much pride. He, he was, for me, I loved, again, spending mm-hmm. time talking to him. Um, he, I did bring home. I took him home one Sunday and gave him food. And my mum came in and found him sitting in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I was young and maybe a little reckless. I wasn't. I don't know if I was doing the right thing, but I wanted to help. I genuinely wanted to help people. Yeah, and presumably it came from a good place, came from your heart. Yeah, I, I, I tried to. I, I never did anything too outlandish or I never would have put myself in all my family in any actual danger. Uh, when I brought him home to give him a meal, um, I, I, this was after many months of speaking to him and, and he was known in the area. So he wasn't someone who wasn't known by uh, people that lived around there. Uh, but I thought, you know, if you're going to uh, subscribe to a, a list of values or to a faith, then that needs to be acted out in some real way. Sure. Um, yeah. And again, before I even entered social work. So that was the kind of beginnings of my social work journey. Yes. Okay. So that's the kind of person you were. Yeah. So take us then a little further forward then. You, you, you clearly um, have a heart for giving and um, helping. Um, how did that then progress to, to social work? I think, you know, it kind of makes me sound very saintly, doesn't it? But no, I'm... Well, <laughs> the moment you said that, we can strike that from the record then. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> but it's... Um, no, it, it genuinely, it did come from a, a good place. And how I kind of entered into social work was after working in administration and in secretarial posts in the private sector. So I worked for places like Conrad Design Group and American Express. And it was for, I was young and all the people there that worked in those companies were young and uh, we had lots of fun and going out. But I have to admit, I got to a place where I thought, well, who am I actually helping? I'm in these companies. Who am I? I had to stop and say, who am I actually helping? Um, and I remember the day sitting, I can see myself now sitting at the, sitting at my word processor <laughs> and realizing that I needed to do something more with my time. Um, and I wanted to do something more for people. I, I genuinely did. And so uh, it was still a while before I then um, moved into social social care work. Um, I moved into social care work around 2001, and I started as a temp, uh, inputting data for a occupational therapy team. Okay. Yeah, that's how I started. And then I moved on into, um, I think I, I, I became an administrative officer. And part of that role was to go out and do means testing for people who needed um, disability equipment in their homes. And for me, once I started doing those kinds of home visits, oh no, I, I, the the bug was there. I, I loved doing that kind of work and getting to meet all these different kinds of people. Um, and from there, I moved into um, I moved into a, a, a senior secretarial role uh, working for a, a local council 
and then started to speak with social workers. Um, I was going to ask you actually if you if you knew any social workers, if you were in conversation with them about their roles and so on, or did you pick up a lot of what you um, were looking for by just observing them and observing what they were doing? I would. Um, I like to spend time with people, and I like to hear their their stories, their narrative. Um, and I would sit with the social workers uh, that were part of the long term care team in children's services. I was the secretary for um, the senior managers who ran, uh, I think, children family centres and children uh, care management, okay. rather. Mm-hmm. And I got the opportunity to sit with um, social workers from those teams and just listen to how they managed their, this was at lunchtime. So this wasn't in meetings. This was just at lunchtime mm-hmm. when they were sometimes letting off steam and talking about the, sometimes the hazards of the role, but also the things that made them laugh and that gave them joy mm-hmm. um, in engaging in social work. And I I would sit and listen to them and ask questions. And that's how I got a little more understanding about what the social work role was, Mm -hmm. uh, what it entailed. And I had, yeah, there were no pink, you know, there were no rose tinted glasses for me. They, they gave it to me straight. And, um, sorry. From the hip. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Um, and uh, what I loved as well was because many of them were from, Caribbean and um, African uh, nations. And so there were people who looked like me uh, doing doing a role that, I, you know, I wondered if I could ever do anything like that because I was never like an A-star student at school. So the idea of university, um, even though not out of reach because my sisters went to university, mm-hmm but we all did it when we were adults. Um, Yeah. So we went to kind of a secondary school comprehensive that um, you just, you barely got through, you know, it it was kind of like that. Very similar to my own experience. And, 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 you know, I think um, it's a testimony to the drive that, that, um, that a lot of us have to sort of make something of our lives. Um, Yeah. But for the vast majority of us, I think our, our, those of us who are from Caribbean backgrounds, our parents didn't entirely understand the system. Yes. And, you know, consequently, um, just, just made sure we went to school. But in terms of what went on in those environments, um, they, they had not much knowledge of it. Um, I know that's certainly the case for my parents. Um, and I think for our, our parents' generation, certainly um, if you're first-generation Caribbean, which I believe we both are, like generation here. Yeah, yeah. Let me, let me just interject here and say we're, we're actually recording this round about the time of the Windrush celebrations, in quote. But, yeah, that's, right. that, 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 that's the time, time stamp, this, our, our discussion here. So, sorry, Sandra, carry on. No, that's quite interesting, isn't it? I think that that's uh, very telling for the kind of conversation we're having now and our parents came from um, a school system in the Caribbean that was very much like or similar to the grammar school education um, in England and I think when they sent us to school that's what they had in their minds Um, and so for them the teacher was always right you know the the idea of um, racism even though they knew that that existed I don't think they fully always connected that to the school system and what that looked like in an educational system Um, and uh, there's so many of us that did not do that well at um, secondary school yet later in our lives we left and went to university and were able to excel Um, I was you know, my sister, my sister, I have to give her a shout out because I think she's amazing. She, she left uh, school with, I think she maybe had a couple of O-levels, but then went on to university later again in her life um, and got a first class degree in Russian and politics. 
wow. you know it's it's that kind of thing and and so we began to understand that it wasn't that we didn't have capability it was about opportunity absolutely it was about opportunity and so when i then entered university at 37 you know very ripe age you know 37 i already had two children um i i really wondered whether i could keep up with the academic um journey or the, the rigor of academia but my sister was a great example for me um and i thought okay i'm gonna give it a shot that's what i said to myself i thought well I could, let, let me interrupt you again because yes, please, no, go ahead. or watching this who who are kind of ambivalent about you know whether they're too old to do it I mean, you're again another, um, and your sister, you're living testimonies that, you know, you can do it if you put the effort in and, and I guess the hard work, if that's your destiny, if that's what you want to do. Um, and, you know, I suppose we're living in a time where, despite some of the, the huge challenges as we have, there are also some opportunities that we can take advantage of. So um, I would just say, yeah, big up to you guys. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, it's, I think, and I'm sure you can also agree, and, and many people in our generation um, had to take our opportunities where we could find them. Mm. Um, and we had to be our own champions in a lot of senses. We had to be standing and cheering on the sidelines for ourselves. We had our parents, of course, and we had our siblings, but um, there weren't many others who were necessarily stepping forward and saying, oh, here's an opportunity, why don't you try this? Mm-hmm. However, where I was working at the time in that local authority, there was one social worker who came to me and said, look, they are, um, they are interviewing for uh, a social worker, uh, a social work degree mm-hmm. uh, to be sponsored onto the course. Mm-hmm. And she said, why don't you do it? And I was like, I don't know, I wasn't sure. By that time, I'd moved from the secretarial post into a um, supported accommodations advisor post. Yeah. So I was inching up all the time. I was always, I little wanted that. Little by little. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wanted that human contact and I wanted to be useful. Um, I think for me, it's always been about what's purposeful and can I be purposeful? Um, and that's always my question if I'm doing something. Um, so I had, I'll never forget it. I had one week to put in my application oh, wow. <laughs> and there were 25, uh, people that went for, uh, the sponsorship sponsorship. There were only two spaces. Wow. I'll never forget this. Wow. There were only two spaces. And I thought, you know what? I haven't got a, I haven't got a chance, you know, but let me, I am a, a risk taker, I think in some ways I thought, what have I got to lose? Exactly. So I, I first laughed because I couldn't believe I passed the entrance exam, which included a maths exam. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think I'm pretty sure that I celebrated more over passing the maths they getting onto the course, <laughs> getting onto the course. Oh so, um, but I did apply and I have to, I have to um, give credit also to my managers at the time who did support the application. Mm-hmm. And there were others, no doubt, that were way, way more worthy or more experienced than me. But myself and another colleague got those two spaces. Right. It was by no means a, an easy route. We had to make that first application, then do an entry exam, then we had to do a group interview at the university, and okay. then a interview in front of four people. Wow. Um, so it wasn't easy, um, but it was it was so worth it, and um, I enjoyed. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed my social work degree. Wow. It was a huge turning point in my life in terms of really 
proving proving to myself what I was able and capable of doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I would encourage anyone, I, I, it's never too late. I know people say that and it sounds trite or it sounds, you know, like a catchy phrase, but it, but it isn't. Mm -hmm. um, I was 37. I had no idea whether I could do this, none at all. Mm -hmm. But I thought, let me give it a shot. Um, myself and my colleague, we really supported each other well, and we both left with first-class degrees. Oh, excellent. Yeah, first-class degrees. We worked our butts off. We did. <laughs> we worked our butts off. And uh, sorry, I'm talking all the time, so please no, interrupt no, no. me. Trust me, I'll interrupt you when I need to, but um, okay. keep going, lady. <laughs> it's so funny that I used to spend so much time in the library um, at university, so much so that when I had to return a book, I still had it. Six months after, the guard, the um, uh, the security man, remembered me and just let me through. Oh wow! Because I literally lived in that library. Mm -hmm. I loved being around. Always have done. I loved being around books. Mm -hmm. I never thought that I would be academic, but I loved uh, learning. Loved it, still do. That's beautiful. So, um, it really does, as you can see, it brings a it brings a, a huge smile to my face, particularly when you didn't think that you could attain or that you didn't feel like you were as bright as the other kids in school. And then you get a little bit older and you think, well, let me try this again. And you find that you can do it. Not that you just not just that you can do it, but that you can excel at it. That was, oh, that was brilliant for me. I, yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's, that's, that is so important because, um, you know, unfortunately, we're, we, we currently sort of inhabit environments where it's, it's, it's so competitive um, and there seems to be little recognition of what many of us would have gone through to get to where we are. Mm. Um, it wasn't straightforward um, and at times I think um, there were times when it, it's it's somewhat disrespected to be honest mm. because it, it, these were not easy roads and there was as you say lots of self-questioning and yeah. possibly even self-doubt because of what you'd experienced earlier in your your, your education um, career um, and I think a lot of adult learners experience very similar things so but you're in a good place to understand exactly how that feels as i am um the fact that it's not easy uh, and it's it it takes a lot of uh tenacity to sort of just stick with it and keep going so i think we you know we, we certainly need to um pat ourselves on the back uh that, that we've got to where we've got to what do you when you went so you you complete your training you've you you know you've achieved well as far as as far as i can see what then happens in terms of you embarking on your qualified social work career i think again i was very very fortunate because i've been sponsored by the local authority okay. so there was a pathway um, for me to go straight into um, some uh, qualified post, uh, there was uh, an option, I think, to either remain in children's services, but I took the option to move out into mental health. Oh, okay. I had done, I had, um, I had done. Th obviously, the there were three placements at the time. I think there's only two now, but. There were three social work placements at the time, and I was hugely blessed. It's the only way I can say it. I had three of the most phenomenal practice educators. Mm -hmm. um, they were all women. They were, I've got nothing against men here. I'm just saying they were all women, and they role modeled what being a good social worker should look like. Mm -hmm. um, Nobody more so than my practice educator um, in the mental health arena. Mm. And um, I'm still friends with her. She, she was a great role model, not just of what good social work practice should look like, but what compassionate practice should look like. 
mm-hmm. um, holding to your values, what that looks like. Um, again, holding your self-esteem and looking after yourself, you know, showing me what that looks like um, and not being afraid. I loved this about her, not being afraid uh, to share her knowledge, to share herself, to share her vulnerabilities. Um, and that helped me understand the the cost of social work. They have a huge cost. The self, yes. Social work. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a huge emotional cost. And because she was very candid with me about that, but also professional. So I didn't, she didn't let me get away with anything. She was, <laughs> see, let, let, let me pause you again. And, and yeah. the, the point you just made here is so important because, again, I want to reflect on the environment that we are in mm. currently. I mean, perhaps not currently because everybody's vulnerable at the moment. Yes. Uh, let me also date stamp this. We're doing this interview during the coronavirus of 2020 Mm. um but again if you think about what's happened in terms of social work practice and this whole kind of um target driven um sort of practice and the competitive nature of uh institutions such as Ofsted and what they are there to do and you know the the entire climate it's very difficult to be vulnerable in those to, to 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 be honest about your vulnerability in that kind of environment. Um, what, what would you, what are your thoughts about that? I think, of course, you know, there, there, there needs to be a, a level of resilience. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I've learned is that to be resilient, you requires vulnerability. Mm-hmm. It requires that level of honesty and transparency. Mm-hmm. And like I said, this is what was role modeled for me. Um, and I, I can see sometimes why, not in every case, but why um, some people burn out mm-hmm. if you can't be open and honest at that level, if you can't say what troubles you about the work or what troubles you about the practice, if you can't be vulnerable about the fact that you are scared sometimes mm-hmm. that you've either made, it, made a mistake or... You know, you, you know that you didn't stick by your values in a particular situation mm-hmm. or you kind of bowed to uh, organisational pressure around resources. Yep. Um, and those things are scary. They're hard. They, but if you can be honest about those, you can kind of live to fight another day. Mm-hmm. It's where, you know, that isn't um, so much an option for you and you're, literally packing one stressful situation on top of another and you get the high rates of burnout and you get people leaving social work in droves and I think that that can be avoided maybe not in every case but I think probably more than we have it at the moment I mean I you know the other reality of course is that we are in 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 very difficult times have been dreadful things that have happened and we've you know, we're, we're steeped in the blame culture and so on. So these things don't help. But the other thing, I guess, which is, is, which is vital, which we don't have enough of, is are the safe spaces for people to, um, you know, disarm and, and be vulnerable and, and without being judged. Yes. And, and that is such a, such a difficult place to be. And as you say, contributes hugely to people fleeing, yeah. who's going to who wants to take that kind of stress? Um, as you said earlier, there's a huge emotional cost uh, in this work. So, Sandra, let's move on with the story. You, um, you, as you say, you finished training. You, you, you had some excellent role models in terms of your practice teaching, and so on. Um, you decide that rather than remain with children and families, you want to take another path, which is mental health. Tell us a bit about that in terms of your career and so on. What was, I, I, I loved that. It was the hardest two years, I think. Those first two years as a qualified social worker, I still think were, were some of the hardest years I worked. Um, working in the a mental health community team. Um, and I 
what I liked about that that work, it was a multidisciplinary team. So I got to work with nurses and I got to work with occupational therapists. And so there was there was lots to learn from each other. Um, there was lots to learn from from the patients. You know, I got to see trauma in um, a new light. You know, a, a different level of of mental stress. You know, in children's services, you really see a lot of you know um, children's stress and anxieties and trauma and adult trauma. But I I when I moved into mental health, it was another form of trauma. Um, one I don't think I was prepared for. I'm not quite sure if I'm putting this well, but it's it's one thing to be on a, a short six month placement, you know, under under a very um, the careful, watchful eye of a practice educator. Mm-hmm. It's another thing to be given a caseload. And being told that, yes, you're a social worker now. Go, run with it. Um, And I I don't think, no no matter how much training you do, there's nothing that prepares you for the weight of the responsibility you feel. Um, You know, for yourself, certainly for the people that you work with and towards your agency. You know, there, there is always that question, certainly was for me at the back of my mind, Am I representing my agency well? You know, have I done the right thing here? So there were, I'm sorry, I'm not sure if I'm answering your questions, but they, there was that kind of journey. And to begin with. Yeah, to begin with. That's qualifying, yeah. Yeah, so for the first two years. And then another opportunity opened up for me to go into, uh, onto a hospital ward and become a forensic social worker. Mm-hmm. And I remember um, coming into contact with a, a lady in the early years of my training who told me that if you're going to survive social work, you need to specialise. You need to find uh, an area that you're good at and, and really focus in on it. And I liked mental health and I thought forensic social work would be a good way to go. Again, yes, that was literally out of the frying pan into the fire. Um, <laughs> mostly because i'm just going to be very honest mostly because um the team had never had a social worker on the ward before so it was brand new post in that in that sense um and i'd never done it before i'd worked with forensic patients and um but i'd never worked on a hospital ward i didn't know what that was even like um so it was it was a huge another huge learning curve but i learned so much it was uh, a multidisciplinary team a standalone service actually right. and everybody worked so hard there i think that that's still to date one of the places where i saw nurses doctors ot's um health assistants uh, support staff they just worked so hard that high level of commitment. Yeah, very high of personal commitment. Yeah. Because I know that that wasn't happening everywhere. Um, and that's not to say we didn't make mistakes or that we didn't get it wrong, but there was a high level of, of commitment uh, from that staff team. And they genuinely loved what they did. And they, they cared for the patients. Okay, let me just pause you again, because I think it's probably, I mean, you, I think you hinted at it really um because there's a learning point here isn't there why do you think there was that high level of commitment had they been working together for lo- for a long time as a team had i mean what do you think when you reflect on it what do you think that was about i think that was about a couple of things i think yes longevity of service together <laughs> and the the need to um support each other in uh, such a emotionally taxing role it was definitely part of it but i think that there was something about um the commitment to those who were were experiencing mental health issues okay. there was the the commitment to wanting to see them recover and i think it was you know that commitment to the recovery approach was it was solid 
uh, it was definitely solid and everybody possessed that. Um, so again, not, not that there weren't mistakes made or that people didn't have their off days, but the, the foundation was definitely solid in terms of a, a staff team that were committed to seeing people do well. Mm-hmm. Um, and the results showed as well. You know, we had many patients leave, go into the community who never returned to hospital. Oh, yeah. And, and I think that it, it was the care and attention, not just of the team, but the commitment from the patient themselves mm-hmm. and the commitment of the families. I mean, I got to work with families in, a, again, another new way. I, as the social worker on the ward, I would get to go out and visit um, the parents, mothers normally, who had seen their sons, it was, it was all male, mm-hmm. seen their sons go through sometimes 10 to 15 years of straight hospital admission. Mm-hmm. And um, I got to hear their stories, you know, the whole narrative approach really worked for me there, just sitting and listening to the stories of these mothers and these fathers um, and being able to somehow relay that back to our team um, so that we had a a whole picture of who this person was, Mm -hmm. not just in their illness, but when they were well, when they were well. Um, So I I think that, like I say, it was commitment to recovery, but there there was also something about um, we need to support each other. There was a, a strong emphasis on support in that particular team. Brilliant. That sounds like a really, a really um, inspiring place to be. How long did you stay there for? Five years. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, five years. So it, it was a long time. Like I said, I wasn't perfect either. I had, I had many days when I thought, why am I doing this? And I would talk to my family about what I was doing. And my sisters would say, why are you doing that? And um, because again, our family, our families always want to take care of us. Absolutely. Oh, they do. I had, again, I had uh, one sister who kept on saying to me, she goes, are you sure you should be working there? Mm-hmm. Are you sure that that's what you want to be doing? Mm-hmm. And because there was real dangers there, there was real physical danger there. Um, you know, because when some of these young men became unwe- unwell, mm-hmm. uh, certainly when they became frustrated, there was, you know, that, that was accompanied by violence sometimes um, for many reasons, you know, for many reasons. So there was a real potential to get quite seriously hurt. And there is for many people who work within mental health hospitals within that environment. Um, I was extremely blessed and again, quite well protected by say nursing staff who would do things like the restraining um, for protection of the patient as well as staff, to be honest, sometimes I was never assaulted um, in a hospital environment, and I know that's rare. That's very rare, mm-hmm. um, and so I was very blessed in that in that sense because I knew that that could have a huge impact on me and my career moving forward, but also on my children. They were still at school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew I needed to keep myself safe because I was, you know, a, a mum to two boys who were doing their best at school. And I knew that that would impact on them. They, that wouldn't be okay at all. Absolutely not. So, yeah. So that, yes, that's, that's it kind of in a nutshell. Okay. So you were there for five years um, and no doubt amassed a, a huge um, body of, of knowledge and work and experience. Um, what happens then? So while I was there, um, I had the opportunity to either do um, the practice educator role Mm -hmm. or to consider a professional doctorate in social work. So I I said to myself, what, what do I want moving forward? Do I want to stay within the practice arena for a long time? Um, I came in, remember, at 37. So I wasn't any spring chicken. I 
I understood that some of my better, you know, more youthful days were behind me. So, you know, sometimes you have to look yourself in the mirror of truth and say, <laughs> and say, this is what it is. <laughs> yeah, I am not young. You know, I cannot do this for a long time. And this is where being intentional comes in. I had to think very clearly when I came into social work about how I would move out of a practice arena into another arena. Um, I was very clear about that going in, um, again, because of some of the practice educators I had. So here I am on this ward, the opportunity to do practice educator role or the professional doctorate. I said to myself, I think what I want to do leans much more towards education and giving back to social workers in a, another arena. So I said, um, I'm, I won't take the practice educator route. I'll, I'll do the prof dog. Well, it wasn't as simple as that. I said that I will Never apply, really. <laughs> I'll apply for the prof, prof dog because I didn't have a master's. Mm-hmm. I had done my, what I had done was obviously my uh, BA uh, social work. And I had also qualified, this is the part that I missed out. Uh, I'd qualified as an approved mental health professional. Okay. Um, yes. I had done that whilst um, I was on the ward. And I also had um, completed a course as a best interest assessor. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I, did, I did both of those things. And, you know, they're master's levels courses. So when I came to apply for the doctorate, I kind of said, well, I don't have a master's, you know, would I be able to engage in a course like this? And I was talking about the work I'd done and obviously the the postgraduate certificates at master's level. And um, I was pleasantly surprised to see that they accepted me onto the the course. Mm -hmm. Like you were talking about safe spaces earlier, um, I had worked now, you know, in mental health for seven years. And I started to feel that I was losing focus a little. And I I was tired. Emotionally, I was very tired. And I needed a neutral, safe space. It wasn't that work wasn't a safe space, but I needed a uh, a safe space that didn't have any agenda on it, if if that makes sense. Yes. I needed to speak to people who could be objective about me because they didn't know me. And I, I needed to be able to be vulnerable without having to watch every word. Um, and I found that very much at the Tavistock. It was a gift mm-hmm. at the time. And this, is, this would have been 2016. And I went for the interview and I was told at the interview that I was accepted onto the course. Well, I don't even know how I didn't hug the man that told me. me. I'm a hugger. So I kept it together. I promise you, I kept it together and I walked out to the lift and, you know, I was trying to be very professional. Then I got into the lift and I did a little dance Um, because again, for me, it was another huge step forward in educational attainment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, reeling back to East London secondary school where nobody really paid you much attention and no one, not one teacher spoke to me about university. So it, it's almost like I felt like I wasn't, I didn't think I'd ever attain it. Yeah, yeah. Um, nah. So, Sorry, do you want to? No, I'm saying snap. But I mean, I, I'd never heard of anything relating to university when I was at school. God, it's a travesty, but anyway, carry on. <laughs> so to be, to be, um, you know, now in my now in my forties, and um, being at a level where one of the highest levels of education, I had to pinch myself twenty times over. I can't tell you. Um, you know, when I tell people this, they look at me now with what I'm doing now and they say, well, no, surely you were always. And I said, no, that's not the the reality. And 
I would prefer to be honest about where I came from and my real journey so that people can see that it can't look, it can be done. I said, if I could do it, anyone, genuinely, anyone can. Mm-hmm. So I, I started the, the, the Prof Doc and I was given so many opportunities there, not just a safe space, but um, opportunities to reflect on practice in a new and enlightened way is what I would call it. I found the psychoanalytical approach a bit of a gift, mm-hmm. particularly in its approach to the way it looked at organizations and the way that they worked and moved, um, the psyche of an organization and um, how an organizational culture can infect you. Uh, I mean, all of these were like the the light bulbs kept going off in my head going, oh my God, that's what's happening. That's what's happening in this place that I'm working or that's what happened in the last place I was working in. Um, not just not just negative things, but also positive things. You know, um, being able to put a name, you know, maybe an academic or theoretical approach to some of the events that I had experienced in my professional life was really refreshing. The other thing I found, because I had no idea who I was going to meet on this professional doctorate, you know, I thought that I was, would just sit there very quietly and not say anything mm-hmm. uh, because everyone was going to be very, you know, uh, prof- professional and um, having achieved the, 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 the place. You're then now thinking, oh my goodness, who am I going to meet there? <laughs> so that's another hurdle for you to overcome. And, you know, I'm thinking I'm going to sit in the room of all these intellectuals, these highbrow intellectuals, and I'm going to sit there, you know, um, not really knowing what to say or how to um, present myself. And the pleasant surprise for me was that I found so many kindred spirits there, uh, people who um, were senior in their roles, like I was, but nobody wore their professional identity in that way or their position. Everybody was there for the same reason. They wanted a safe space and they wanted to see what else they could do in social work. They wanted to see how else they could contribute to practice. And I think that 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 was a lovely surprise. I met some, I still talk to those ladies now, um, just down to earth, professionals who had really put the work in they'd put the work in they'd done that social work journey um but they were so humble about it they were so humble about it um and that was i i found that that to be quite a beautiful thing really one of the things i'll I'll kind of um end this part with this um one of the things i was offered as an opportunity was to do um some teaching in safeguarding a local authority. And when one of my colleagues approached me to to do this teaching in her local authority, and she had said that the professor of the course had um, recommended me, I I thought, no, he he must have the wrong person. (laughs) Surely he could not have met me because I haven't done anything like that. But I I found that... um, to be, again, that kind of was a testament to me to, to, to say that you, you don't always know what you carry or what you're capable of doing or what others may see. Yes, that's right. That's right. Um, and that we should never sell ourselves short that way. We should never consider ourselves too low for any task. We shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the worst we could do is try and it not work out. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the thing that we could do. But um, if somebody offers us an opportunity, I think it's, well, we have to consider it and consider whether it's right for us or the right time. But we should at least consider it. Absolutely. And um, I tried it. I wasn't brilliant, but I loved it. And some of the, some of the feedback I got from from people who never understood anything about safeguarding 
there was safeguarding training. Um, you know, they said, oh, I really understand safeguarding. You made it easy to understand. I was like, okay, I, I could maybe do some of this teaching thing then. And this is what I kind of came into um, the Tavistock to think about, you know, what could I do next? How else can I, going back to that original desire of serving, how can I do that? Um, well, that brings us to um, the next phase, I'm conscious of the time. I want to respect you. Okay. But I know you're on a roll. Um, I'm not, yeah, sorry, I could talk for England. That's why I became a social worker. <laughs> I know the feeling. So bring us forward now because what you what you've begun to address in 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 your narrative is the the, the sort of beginnings of the, the whole teaching piece. So bring us bring us forward. How is it that you've ended up where you are now? And so again, that's where you are now. <laughs> yes. So again, again another risk taking opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, I like I said, I've been. On the ward for five years, I'm I'm now doing the prof doc, but all of it is becoming a bit too much for me to be working in such a high intensive role like a forensic social worker, um, which is a senior role, you know, senior social work role, and doing um, a professional doctorate on top of that um, was quite a lot. And then I was also doing some. Um, part-time work at the weekend oh wow yes yes working on a, a mental health um you know helpline okay. on the weekends and I'm not quite sure even to this day I'm not quite sure how I did that or even why <laughs> but I'm not sorry for no sometimes I look back and I think you know you have to stop and you have to say did I need a social worker at that time you know <laughs> I should have made a referral for myself um because I think I started to overload myself. And I think that that's when you know that you're maybe not being as reflective as you need to be. Um, and you're not always making the decisions that are good for your general well-being. So I said, you know, I need to think very strategically about where my next steps will be. And so I began to, after doing the, you know, the teaching, which I'd I'd done for, I think, over about a year and a half as a visiting lecturer for the Tavistock. And um, I also got to do, this was brilliant. I got to do a piece of um, work with a team, um, some consultancy work with a, a mental health team. Sure. Um, helping them work through quite a serious issue that they had in their team Mm -hmm. and there were seven of them um, and I worked with them for over three days as part of a VL role right Sylvia again I'm being very honest I had no clue what I was doing (laughs) I had no clue I what what I did know and what I went with the intention to do was to help as best I could mm-hmm. and to help the team find some resolution. I, I was really helped by a colleague who, again, suggested I, um, who recommended me for that role. So I'm, I'm trying to be quick. I'm, as you can tell, I'm not. Um, so what happened then after those kinds of opportunities is that I started to look around for lecturing roles again with no real understanding of what the role would entail or where I might end up because I came to the realization that I may have to move beyond London where I was living at the time where I'd always lived born and bred for 48 years so who moves when they're 48 to another city right so um my East London really came out there. Um, but I, I realised that actually if I was going to really embrace opportunity, that may mean moving beyond the realms of what I knew. Yeah. Yeah. 
um, and really pushing the boat out in a way that I've never done before. But I like a challenge, as you can see. <laughs> Some of the things I've done. So I said, okay. Again, I said, what have I got to lose? The only thing that can happen is that people can say no. Literally, that's what I realized. So I started looking around. I applied for, I think I applied for only two roles. And the first one I obviously wasn't successful with. Mm-hmm. I then applied to the university where I am now. Um, Interestingly enough, I had spoken to the head of social work at that university a year before. Right. Because I was doing some research around what I needed to do to get into lecturing Mm -hmm. and was given some very good tips. Um, So another part-time role came up and I thought, okay, you know, it's in the West Midlands. And I was like, well, I don't know anybody in the West Midlands. You know, why would I go to the West Midlands? But I I thought, okay, I'm going to go. And um, I went to the interview and I had to present like a a presentation of how I was going to teach a class. I put all of that together um, and I presented. I have to admit, it was one of the nicest interviews I've ever done. Right. Yeah. It was one of the nicest interviews I'd ever done. I think mainly because I was there saying to myself, what have I got to lose? It's probably not a health chance that I, I'm going to get this job anyway. This was my first interview with a, for a lecturing post. So I, I was quite relaxed. I was just myself. Mm-hmm. I was relaxed. And um, I actually enjoyed, if you can enjoy an interview, I enjoyed that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that was also to do with the the people that were there. I had a panel of three who were just so pleasant. They really were lovely to talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, and they didn't, it didn't feel like a grilling. All the appropriate questions, absolutely. You know, the rigor around my yeah. own academia, my journey, my experience. But it felt, it was still formal, but it wasn't... Um, combative sometimes mm. interviews can feel a bit combative oh, yeah. it, it wasn't that so i was again so surprised when i was in the nando's <laughs> in the nando's <laughs> waiting for my train to come um this was two hours after that interview so i'm still in that city um, sat there i'd ordered my nando's i thought right, i can just relax now i've done this interview you know, on to, <laughs> on to the next interview. I get a call sitting there uh, before my chicken arrives. And um, and, uh, and the, the lady says to me, well, yes, it was unanimous. You've got the job. Well, I nearly dropped the phone. <laughs> um, I was in utter shock. I was in utter shock because I was thinking, again, like, so many times before, like passing the the maths exam, entry exam, like getting onto the social work course, like um, getting onto the prof doc, I was like, surely this can't be happening. But it but it was. Um, I went for that interview of I think Friday, sixth of December. Was offered the job the same day. That was in December. Then by the next February, I had started my first lecturing role. Mm. Wow. And uh, I wanted to work on apprenticeships in particular because I understood the benefits of a work-based route. That is what I had been offered and given the opportunity to do. Um, And I wanted to be part of a course that um, was work-based. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's that's how I got here. Yeah, that's your journey. Well, that side of your journey anyway. We'll need a whole other program for your... Yeah, the other side. I mean, there's so many bits I missed out and there's no way that I could cover all of it. But it, I think if anything I'm saying, it's, it's really about just taking those opportunities, not being afraid to take them mm-hmm. um, and not selling yourself short. 
even if people have sold you short in the past, even if you've sold yourself short, not not to do that. You you'll never know. You'll never know unless you take the risk. You just won't know. Um, and I'm still learning a lot now in this role. There's I've got a long way to go, but I'm not afraid of that. Um, I think all my experiences before in social work practice and in education have told me not to be afraid, have, t- have taught me to be a bit courageous. Good. Um, also have taught me to be humble. They've taught me to be humble, that it's okay not to know. I don't need to be the most eloquent or intelligent person in the room. Not even when I'm teaching, I don't need to be that. Absolutely. Um, and I think that social work, like I've always said this to students and to colleagues, you know, we should be, as, as a you know, social work practitioner, you should be the first beneficiary of social work values and its principles. You know, if you can't advocate for yourself, if you can't encourage yourself, then it's going to be very hard for you to do that in the, the work arena. Well, Sandra Wilkinson, that is stunning. And I think um, that's probably a good place to to conclude our chat. Um, Mm. It's been an absolute pleasure listening to to your kind of enthusiasm and um, your encouraging words. Um, One of the things I ask uh, my guests usually is if, if anybody wanted to sort of link up with you and perhaps ask for any advice or guidance um would that be okay and if so how could they do that um well i'm quite happy to show you with you my um my email uh my personal email uh they could they could contact me there do you want me to give you that email what what they could certainly do because i will put my email at the bottom of the um uh, in the show notes for the podcast and um if they wanted to get hold of you, they could actually come through me. So I could be a bit of a bit of a company. Great. Um, I'm more than happy, um, absolutely more than happy to speak to anyone. Um, you know, if I can help in any any way, then I then I will. I'll try. This is what um this podcast is about. Um, you know, our 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 professions are, are very challenging. And often very difficult, but I think certainly what you've what you've shown us today is that um, I, I don't want to be sort of naive and, and talk about bright lights, but you certainly are a very bright light when it comes. Oh, thank to you speaking about uh, speaking about your work. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Wishing you all the very best. Thank you very much, and for you, Sylvia. Thanks for having me on podcast. My pleasure. What an inspiring woman. I called her a bright light, and I think she is. She's a bright light of enthusiasm and grace. Thank you, Sandra, so much for being so gracious and sharing your journey with us. Until the next time, I bid you peace. You've been listening to Social Work Matters with Dr. Sylvia Smith. With music by Daniel Penny Music.